I'm here or your thousandth time, really good to see you, have you with us. Those of you online as well, welcome to our service. We're really thankful that you can join with us uh, in worship today. Uh, Today we start a new series in Exodus and John, our pastor, is going to share a little bit about that after our first hymn. So I'll hand over to him then to share a bit more. Well, some of us have had a very busy morning or busy few moments just now. Uh, So just for a few moments, let us have a a short time of quiet. We can ask God to help us worship him this morning and help us have the right attitude as we listen to what he's got to say to us. So let's just have a few moments of quiet. Lord, I thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that you would help us to worship you this morning. Lord, give us a sense of what we are doing. Lord, meeting with you, hearing your word as your people. Lord, and I pray that would be very special to us. Lord, I pray that we would delight in hearing from you and that we would take great pleasure in seeking to do what you say to us. So Lord, do be with us. Lord, we thank you for your love towards us and your mercy towards us. I pray that you'd fill us with your love in your name. Amen. Just a couple of quick notices just to get out of the way at the moment, at the beginning, sorry, and that's that there's a short church meeting on Thursday after the prayer meeting. So if you're a church member, uh, there'll be a short uh, church meeting on Thursday after the prayer meeting. And then secondly, and this is very important, next Sunday morning we have a harvest service and that's at 10.30. So 10.30am next week. So if you turn up at this time you'll be very late. So um, just a reminder, 10.30 next Sunday is on the bulletin as well. Well one of our great prayers for the church as leaders of the church is that we'll be a united church, that we'll be united in our worship of God, that we'll be united in our desire to hear him speak to us and in our desire to obey him. And uh, this week we had a a meeting and as church leaders, one of the the people was asked to bring a reading and they read about church unity and just the blessing that it is and the good it does us. And uh, this first song uh, reflects that. Oh, how good it is when the family of God dwells together in spirit, in faith and unity, where the bonds of peace, of acceptance and love are the fruit of his presence here among us. So with one voice we'll sing to the Lord, and with one heart we'll live out his word, till the whole earth sees the Redeemer has come, for he dwells in the presence of his people. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing together.
So we're starting two new series today here at uh, Forest Fold. Um, this evening Mark's going to uh, start uh, a series on friendship, a shorter series which I'm very much looking forward to and he'll introduce that uh, tonight. Uh, and this morning we're starting a longer series on the second book of the Bible which is the book of Exodus. And we're hoping to look at this, this tremendously important book of the Bible uh, over the months, probably up until uh, next Easter on and off, as we look at the first half of this book. I'm going to read the first chapter in a minute, but, um, and then a bit more we're going to meet, read later on in the service. But I thought I'd just say a few things before to get the setting of this book of Exodus. Well, it's set mainly in Egypt or just across the sea on the Sinai Peninsula. Hence, you've got the uh, pyramids there in the picture. Um, the time scale is, is, is roughly about the 1400s BC. Most people think it's around that time. And there are three uh, questions which I just want to sort of pose or get us thinking about before I read. And... Uh, You can chip in in a minute with the second one. The first question, the main character of Exodus. Well, in some ways it's a trick question because in in some ways the answer is Moses. He's there pretty well throughout the book and the key character. But really the key character of the book of Exodus is God. It's a book which reveals so much about God. I don't know if that interests you, but can I suggest that it really ought to interest you, that there's actually no better thing for us than to find out more about the character of God. And I think it's hard to find a a better book in the Old Testament that reveals so clearly the different aspects of the character of God. God reveals himself most clearly through his son, Jesus. And we'll find as we go through Exodus that there are so many ways in which it points forward to the coming of Jesus. In little shadows, in little patterns, in little pointers. In fact, it's as as though the New Testament is sort of sprinkled with Exodus all over it. Exodus points forward to Jesus and we learn so much about the character of God through it. So that's a great great aspect of it. Main events. Let's go back. Main events. Um, So this isn't a trick question. What are some of the main events in Exodus? Some of you know a little bit about the Bible and you think, oh yeah, I think that that occurred in the book of Exodus. It would just help us to get thinking about it. Let's have a a few uh, just shouted out. Things that happened in the book of Exodus. Passover, Ten Commandments. Plagues. Parting of the sea. The Exodus itself. Death of the Egyptians. Slavery. Sorry? The golden calf. Burning bush. I was hoping we'd get ten. We've got eight or nine. So just one or two more. I think we've got some of the main ones. Birth of Moses. And one at the top of God and his people. 
Excellent. So we've got, we've got, to, let's get to thinking. So there's a lot in there, isn't it? It's an action-packed book, actually, with uh, quite a lot of well-known Bible uh, things in it. The main themes, what are the main themes? Well, you can split up Exodus in, in different ways and different people do. Um, this is, this is the way that I sort of splitting up, even though we're not necessarily expecting to go right through the book of Exodus at, in the first stage anyway. The first 17 verses, first 17 chapters, God delivers his people. It's called Exodus because there is an Exodus. There is a mass Exodus in the book of Exodus and that's in this first section as God is delivering his people. Uh, the second middle section can be cut up in different ways, put 18 to 24, and I've called it God forms his people. And there, especially as he forms them as a nation, there's a lot about the ways in which they should behave. There is rules, the Ten Commandments are in that part of the book. Thirdly, the last section, lesser known section, God dwells with his people. The tabernacle is in that. And the key thing about that is God is dwelling, living with his people. Tremendous thought. So these are three of the big themes that come through. As often when I thought it through, I looked at what others put and, and somebody, Nick McQuaker actually in his, uh, in his SGP notes had divided it pretty well along those three and he'd given it three R's. I thought they were good. Rescue, requirements, Residents. Rescue, requirements, residents. Wonderful teaching about the character of God, which I'm looking forward to in coming weeks. So that's just a little flyer, little introduction trailer perhaps to the book of Exodus. And now we're going to read the first chapter. Exodus 1, verse 1, page 45. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pitom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. 
in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Well, we don't always understand uh, what God is doing, so sometimes we can be a bit confused. But if we know him, we know that we can trust him, that he does know what he's doing, and that ultimately it will be for our good. And uh, this next song reflects that. It's a well-known one. God moves in a mysterious way. So we'll stand and we'll sing this, and then after that, Josh is going to come up and do the children's talk.
Good morning, guys. Good morning. Now, I would like to tell you about something that's, that's happened this week. And if you listen, I think, if you've been listening to some of the other children's talks, it might sound a bit familiar, because as I was coming up with this, I went back and I listened to one of the other children's talks, and it's very similar. So have a think if you can remember what the other one was. Now, in the last couple of weeks, I entered a competition. Yeah? I entered a painting competition. And I've got, I can show you actually what I entered in it. So I hope you appreciate this because all the grown-ups are going to be thinking, Josh is really, really nerdy here. Not very grown-up. <laughs> so I hope you appreciate this. So this is what I painted here. You can pass it around and you can have a little look. So it's a little model. It's like a little robot thing. And I've painted it. And I think we've got a picture up here so everyone else can enjoy it. Um, so I painted that and I, I, I put it into this little competition. There's a shop that sells these little... Um, they're toys, aren't they? Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and they had a competition. So you could paint it, you could send in the picture. And what they would do is they would judge it. Now, I don't know what you guys think having, having a look at that. I mean, do you think it's quite good? I think it's quite good? Do you think it might get... A, if it was in a competition, do you think it might get gold? Do you think it might get the first prize? Maybe, maybe. Silver? Silver? Maybe second prize? What about, what about third prize? What about bronze? What do you think? Do you think it's maybe a bronze? Maybe a bronze? <laughs> so, unfortunately, this didn't get gold, but it didn't get silver either. But it didn't get bronze either. It didn't get any prizes, but it was still fun, so that was okay. Um, but that wasn't our family's only entry in the uh, competition, because... River had a go as well, and if I can find it in here, here we go, here is River's entry, here we go, do you want to pass that one around and have a little look, this one's a bit more colourful, so apparently this one's better because it's got more colours on it, and we've got a picture up there as well, there we go, it's a bit of a blurry picture, but I think River, only four, four and a half, did very, very well painting that, now what about this one, now in the competition, do you think this maybe got a gold, maybe silver? Maybe a to be fair, it was grown-ups that were entering the competition, yeah? Um, I think River was the only kid that entered the competition, but I think she did really, really well. And so did they, because they gave her a special mention, but this model didn't get a gold or a silver or a bronze either. Didn't get any prizes, because the judges looked at it and they said, it's very nice, it's very good, but it's not good enough. It doesn't meet the standards to get a gold prize. But then this week, something happened. The person at the shop contacted me and they said, the person that got the gold prize, I don't know who it was actually, it's not someone from Cobra, the person who won the competition and got the gold prize, they decided they were going to give their prize to River. This really happened this week. I was so surprised. And the prize was quite a big prize. It was, um, it was a voucher See, Luke was talking about vouchers a few weeks ago, wasn't he? It was a voucher to go and buy even more toys, yeah? And the voucher was worth £50. You guys don't really have money. You don't know what £50 means, but it's, it's quite a lot of money. Yes, some of you have got money. Some of you are saying, I've got money. 
50 pounds, you could go into a shop, and I mean, some toys are very expensive, but you could get most toys with 50 pounds. You could get something pretty good for, for 50 pounds. And this, this guy that won the competition, he had it, and he just gave it to River. And we don't, we don't know him at all. We don't know him. He just gave it to River because he thought it was nice that she'd entered and she was, she was only young and she'd done a good job. And we were just so surprised. We couldn't believe that we'd been given this thing. Somebody had earned it, fair and square, fair and square, they'd earned the gold prize, and they just gave it to us. And yesterday, we went into the shop and you picked some things, didn't you? It was really nice. And I just thought, that was such a good picture of something that happens in the Bible. It was such a good picture. Let's have a little, a little look at, there's a Bible verse up here. So, the Bible verse says, what does Scripture say? So this is in Romans 4. It says, what does Scripture say? So it's talking about, what's, what's the Bible say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So this is talking about this big important thing when there's this guy called Abraham. And Abraham's life wouldn't get a gold prize. Yeah? Even if he tried quite hard, like I had with my model in the competition, if God looked at Abraham's life, and judged it, it wouldn't get a gold. It wouldn't get a silver. It wouldn't get a bronze. It wouldn't get a prize because it's not good enough. But because Abraham believed God, because he trusted in God, God says that something happens where believing in him is credited to us. So that is like something has come to us. It's a bit like when we got given that voucher. Yeah? Um, When the judges looked at River's painting... It wasn't good enough to get the gold. But somebody gave the voucher. And that is what it's like when God looks at our lives. He looks at our lives and they're not good enough. They're not good enough for a prize, even if we've tried really hard. But somebody has tried really hard. And fair and square, they have got the gold prize. And that is Jesus. Because when Jesus looks at God's life, he's like, wow, this is a perfect life. He gets first place. He gets a gold prize. And Jesus, who has earned that, he gives it to us. That's what happens here. When we believe in God, when we believe in Jesus and we trust him, God looks at us and he says, well actually you're not good enough for a gold prize. You're not good enough for a gold prize. But Jesus steps in and he says, well, I've got the gold prize and I'm going to give it to them. And we are given this first place. We are given this gold prize. And this gold prize is what the Bible calls righteousness. It's called being right. Jesus gives us that so that we can be right with God, so we can be God's friend. And it is amazing that he gives, us to, gives that to us because we don't deserve it. It was like the competition. We were so surprised that we got given that voucher. And when I look at this Bible verse, it is so surprising that God gives us this, this first place prize, this gold medal, this ability to be friends with God, this ability to go and be in heaven, because we don't deserve it, but Jesus gives it to us. And I thought that what happened this week when we got contacted by the competition was such a good picture of that, that I had to share it with you. Um, And I hope that you can see a little bit about how surprising this is as well. Let me say a very quick prayer and then we will finish up. Lord, we thank you that um, we thank you that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, so that He could save us, so that He had that ticket, He had that credit, He had that righteousness 
And Lord, we thank you that he is so amazing, so kind, so gracious, so merciful, that he gives it to us, even though we don't deserve it. Lord, we thank you that that gives us the chance to be your friends, um, to know you, uh, to be with you uh, forever in heaven. Amen. Thank you for listening, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Josh, and thanks for being so honest as well. Well, I've got the opportunity to pray now, so let's bow our heads and and pray to our God in heaven. Lord God, we thank you again so much for what we've just heard. Lord, we thank you for Jesus' life, for how he earned that righteousness fair and square, and yet he freely gives it to us. Lord, I pray that that would amaze us. Lord, I pray that those of us who know the gospel would never get sick and tired of it, but that it would continually motivate us. And Lord, I pray for those who don't know it, who don't have their own righteousness. Lord, thank you that you offer it freely, and I pray, Lord, that you would put it in people's hearts to to want your righteousness, because that is the only standard that is good enough for you. And Lord, you give it freely, and you're able to do so because you died for us. Lord, I pray that it would amaze us, I pray that we would seek it more than anything else and treasure it. Lord, thank you so much for uh, Josh and for that story this week and for just everything it reminded him of. Lord, thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you'd give us a sense of what we're doing now as we pray. Lord, forgive us for when we can come casually or for when we can come uh, without really thinking. Lord, I pray that you'd... Give us a sense of the privilege that we can speak to you freely this morning through Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd give us a willingness to listen to what you've got to say to us as you speak to us in your word in Exodus. Lord, I pray that you give us a willingness to submit to whatever you say. Lord, we can be so proud. We can be so resentful as people. But Lord, you gave your own son for us. Oh Jesus, you gave your life for us. And so often we give so little back to you. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us for that. Lord, help us to give our lives for you. Lord, not just because we feel like we should, not just to to pacify you, but because we have such a deep sense of gratitude for what you've done for us. Lord, may we be so filled with your love that we can't but love you back. And Lord, again, I pray for anyone who doesn't know you, for anyone who doesn't know that love. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do its work of convicting. Convicting of sin, but also convicting of your grace and your mercy towards them. Lord, work this morning, I pray. Lord, I thank you for Thrive and for Rooted that have already happened this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word going out. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you have blessed that work. Thank you for the prayer and the hours of prep that go into it. And Lord, I pray that what was taught will stick with them, that it will be useful. And Lord, that your kingdom will be growing through, through the children's work. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, we pray as well for those speaking elsewhere. Lord, we think of Martin in the prison this morning. We think of Keith at Five Ashdown. 
Lord, we don't forget those around the world as well, uh, those we've got links with, those in the Crystal Valley, those in the Philippines, those in Cyprus, those in Papua New Guinea. Lord, we thank you that today, especially all around the world, there are your people meeting together. Lord, praising you, worshipping you. And Lord, they are family. Lord, we don't know them, many of them, millions of them, we, we just don't know. And yet, Lord, we thank you for the joy of sometimes when we, say, go on holiday or go elsewhere and we meet up with people and instantly we have that bond because of what you've done for us. And Lord, I especially pray for those who are meeting today who have to do it secretly, who do it in fear of real persecution, of being locked up or worse. Lord, we have so much freedom here in this country and I pray that we would use it Lord, I pray that we would be grateful for it. Lord, may we use our time wisely, Lord. So We can so easily just fill up our time with anything and everything. And yet, Lord, sometimes we look at these churches in places like Iran and elsewhere, and Lord, they have so much more reason to, to not live for you, and yet, Lord, the way they live for you is remarkable. And their witness of Jesus' life is remarkable. And I pray, Lord, that we would be more like that. Lord, I bring before you uh, the young family this morning. Lord, I pray especially for Graham at this time in his weakness. Lord, that you would give him real peace. Lord, the peace that only you can give. Lord, that he would know real comfort at this time. And I pray that you'd be with the family as they seek to support him and love him and care for him. Lord, do bless them in their souls, in their bodies. Lord, be with them at this time. Lord, there's other things as well happening in life. And Lord, with everything going on, Lord, be their strength and help. Lord, we bring before you uh, Matt and Arabella as well, especially in the loss of Matt's dad. Lord, we mourn with those who mourn. Lord, we pray that you bless them. We pray as well that you bless those who seek to support them. Lord, we thank you for this as a church family. And I thank you for how we can support others and I pray that we would and that they would know the love and support flowing from us as a church family. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as well, Lord, as we start in the book of Exodus. Lord, John's already given us a bit of a taster. Lord, we've seen how it points towards you, Lord, that you're the main character. Lord, I pray that it would excite us as we think about what's coming up. Lord, I pray that it would do us good, that you would teach us but Lord, that you would change us as well. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see something of the richness of Jesus. Lord, as we look at this book that was written thousands of years before him, and yet, Lord, shows us so much of what Jesus came to do. And so, Lord, I pray that you bless John as he speaks, help us as we listen. Lord, may it do us good, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, John's already read uh, chapter 1 of Exodus for us, but we're now going to read the first 10 verses of chapter 2. So we're going to read Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. It's page 45 in the Church Bibles. So Exodus 2, verses 1 to 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. 
the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Well, today's title is Unstoppable. So we're looking forward to that. Nothing can stop God's plans, even angry nations. And uh, again, we see that in this next uh, song, Though the Nations Rage. So let's sing this together, and then afterwards John is going to come up and speak to us.
Well, we seem to be into toys this morning here at Forest Fold. Um, do you remember the, the monkey uh, chain toys? Did you have any of those plastic uh, colour uh, monkeys? Uh, this is the best copyright free picture I could get of them on the internet and the way in which uh, you form a chain by the monkey's arms uh, interlocking with each other. Well, much of the Bible is like that. It is uh, interlinking. It is interlinking. So we said, said last week that the Bible holds together as, as one book uh, that despite having lots of different authors over many different centuries in different places with different occupations, that it holds together as one book with themes going right through it. And that is because it's got a, an overall divine author. The Holy Spirit has inspired the, uh, the Bible and it is God's word. It's reliable and trustworthy. It all interlinks. And as we start uh, Exodus this morning... Uh, we realise that it, it's overlapping with Genesis, the first book of the Bible, that the, the monkey's arm, if you like, goes back into Genesis. And we know that partly because actually the first word, although it doesn't come in our English translations, is the word and. Starts, the book starts off with and. It's connected. We also see it because just in the first verse of Exodus, it's quoting verses words that were back in uh, Genesis uh, 46. So they're just five chapters back. The monkey's arm reaches back into Genesis as if to say this is all connected. And we especially realise it because of the, the promises of God which shaped the whole of Genesis or most of Genesis are so clearly prominent throughout the book of Exodus. So it's interlinked. Time has moved on. Joseph, the great hero at the end of the book of Genesis, has died. In fact, a few hundred years pass between the end of Genesis and so much of what happens in Exodus 1. A new leadership emerges in Egypt which is going to present problems. But God's promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob is still live. It's still in mind. In fact, at the end of Exodus 2, Exodus 1 and 2 are quite introductory chapters, it says in verse 24, and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and with Jacob. Do you remember last week we, had a, 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 we looked at a Bible overview, if you were here, and we saw how the promises uh, from God to Abraham in Genesis 12 shaped the whole Bible. And we ended up with, with this slide. It was, a, a, it was a pack session, wasn't it? But we got an overview of the whole message of the Bible. And of the four promises to Abraham, One of them was the growth of a people, that second column down. And that's going to be the focus of these early chapters that we have in in Exodus. The passage will remind us as we look in it of the strength of God's promise. 
that his purposes cannot be thwarted. There may be a long time, there may be tremendous difficulties, there may be great sadnesses and confusion on the way, but God's promises will prevail. If you're of a certain age, you might think back to the old school hymn, God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year. So here we're going to see that the purposes of God, the promises of God are unstoppable despite the efforts of those who oppose. Hence our title this morning, which is unstoppable. We'll get to the first setting in a minute. So what, what of this, um, and that's going to help us, because as we, as we look at that, uh, I'm hoping that our sights will be raised to the, the, the wonder and the glory of God. And I'm hoping that it will comfort us through uh, our confusion and difficulties. And it will help us to be patient through our hardships, of which there are a fair few in your life, and perhaps in mine too. So we've got these promises, and especially the the promise of people. God said that will be a great nation formed from Abraham, and it was part of his rescue purposes for humanity. And it seemed to, to start off, didn't it, with a pretty well a, pl- a spluttering start, because there's no sun on, on, around for some time, and then it all feels a bit shaky with Isaac. But by the time we get to the changeover from, from Genesis to Exodus, we've got about 70 people, and they have come down into Egypt, where Joseph and Pharaoh have provided for them. Now, what's happened to that group, to that prospect and promise of people in those centuries, over the decades? Well, verse 7 in Exodus 1 tells us, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Egypt was teeming with Israelites. The word is sort of, it was swarming with the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants. God is forming his people as he promised. They're a long way from the promised land. There's other aspects which have not gathered much momentum yet, but the, the number of people is colossal and is very much gathering momentum in line with his purposes. God's promise is working through. And, and it pictures the era that we live in. If I can just bring it up to that. Since the coming of Jesus, many people have become Christian believers. They've had faith like Abraham. Children's talk, Abraham believed God, was accounted to him for righteousness. And in New Testament times, many like Abraham have followed on by trusting in Christ and having the gift of righteousness. God has been assembling together his people and he chooses to wonderfully bless them. Now, 
generations change and that leads to a change in attitude and, and culture, doesn't it? And values. And we've seen that in the UK, haven't we? If we had time, which we haven't this morning, you might want to pause and think how much of the attitudes changed in the last generation or two immensely. Well, here in Exodus, we have a, a new pharaoh, a new king, and he chooses to forget his history and to forget Joseph who saved Egypt in the famine years, many years ago. And this new pharaoh is, is also rather alarmed at the number of foreigners in his country. Immigration concerns are not a new problem in this century. And he wants to stop the growth of all these Israelites that are all over the place. He finds them frightening. He thinks they're a security risk. Verses 8 to 10. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. And then what follows are three main ploys of Pharaoh to limit the growth of God's people, of the Israelites, of the descendants of Abraham. And they're awful measures and they will cause tremendous suffering. And the question is, will they succeed in stopping the growth of God's people? We're going to look at those. So it's quite a long introduction, but I needed to get us on track. But we come to the first ploy in our passage, which is ruthless hardship. Ruthless hardship. Where, where Pharaoh thinks we'll force them into slavery. We'll work them really hard. We'll make life very difficult for them. Uh, that should keep them under. That, that, will, that will cut out any appetite for romance. There won't be so much flourishing and multiplication then. We'll have them under control. We'll subdue this people. And so he sets slave drivers over them and puts heavy burdens on them. And we don't want to, we don't want to go light on how awful this experience was for these people. Here are some of the phrases in verses 11 to 14. Afflict them with heavy burdens. Oppressed. Ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Made their lives bitter with hard service. Ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Again. Now perhaps, perhaps you find it hard sometimes to do um, a manual job you don't like and to do it for a, a few hours. You know, washing the car or, or the patio or doing some hard graft gardening. And you, 
Imagine doing that for, for days on end, if you don't like it. A manual job. And imagine being bossed around as you do it. And imagine there being no let-up. And there is no EU directive on working hours, or it's post-Brexit equivalent. I was helping somebody unload a, a bit of stuff here at the, the, the church a, a couple of weeks ago, and started to get sorted out and then he said, well, I've got to stop now. It's my 15-minute break. So we stopped unloading and hang around for 15 minutes until the 15 minutes had gone and then it could start up unloading again. Well, it's very nice and protective concern for workers, these different working hours and they had that. But there was none of that in Egypt. There wasn't sort of, well, it's my coffee break. They were worked hard and they would have grown weaker and it would have been... It would have been a cruel experience for them to have and it went on and on. But is it effective? What's the outcome? But, multiplication, verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. They couldn't keep them down. There were more and more Israelites. There were bigger families. A bit like in Jesus' day when the Pharisees were trying to destroy Jesus and his followers and they were even out to get Lazarus who was raised from the dead. And it says this, John twelve nineteen. So the Pharisees said to one another, Look, see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. God's people were growing in Jesus' time despite the efforts of the Pharisees. In Ethiopia, in the 70s, let me quote this book. In the 1970s, President Mengistu, if I pronounce that right, in Ethiopia implemented what is called the Red Terror. One and a half million people died and church buildings were closed down. When Mengistu fell, no one was sure what would remain of the church. But Christians had been meeting secretly in homes and the church had not only survived but grown. God had purpose to keep his promises and he will not allow anyone, not Pharaoh, not Satan, to thwart them. There was multiplication, despite the first ploy of Pharaoh. Well, seeing that uh, his oppression tactic didn't work, he wanted to add to it. He didn't stop that, but he wanted to add to it and take even more drastic measures. And we get to ploy number two, which is secret slaughter secret slaughter. He thinks if he can, if he can limit the, the number of males, well, the, the, the Israelites will soon weaken over time. The daughters won't have anyone to marry, there won't be the leaders amongst them. And so he decides in verse 16 and speaks to the Hebrew midwives and says, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. 
but if it is a daughter, she shall live. What a terrible instruction to be given by a, a national leader. What would they do? What, what would you do if you were one of those midwives? And will it work? Ploy too, but but midwives, but midwives, this is what they do, verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. It's risky. Now, it's generally right, you know this, isn't it, to um, obey those who are in authority or who are in government. Uh, Peter tells us that we should do it even, even when they're not especially good people. That is the, the general Bible principle, to be obedient to those in authority. But there are limits. Acts 5.29, they say, we ought to obey God rather than men. In this account this morning, five women will thwart the cunning schemes of Pharaoh. And here we have the first two. These two ladies refuse to carry out what Pharaoh told them to do. And when Pharaoh calls them to account, they talk about the the speed of delivery of the Israelite mums. We just don't get there in time. How much truth lies behind what they say to Pharaoh? We're not really sure. I'm not sure this is a model of truthfulness for us. But what's majored on is the faith and the courage of these women who fear God rather than Pharaoh. In fact, they're named. They're given names as almost to honour. Don't forget these two midwives and their love for God and what they did for Israel. And God blesses them, verse 20, because of what they did. So God dealt well with the midwives. He gave them families. The midwives resisted the ploy of Pharaoh. Now there can be times when we have to make a bold stand against what those in authority are demanding of us. could be true of government, could be true in our school or college, could be true in our workplace, could be true in the organisation we volunteer for. It's not a card that you play easily, but it, it is a card that a Christian has to keep up their sleeve, that sometimes you say we must obey God rather than man. And I think, don't you, that this does have some relevance to the abortion issue. Now, it's an issue that that's tremendously sensitive and it, it provokes deep issues and emotions. For a good many, it affects part, past decisions that they've made in a very, very sensitive way. 
But I think this does have a relevance to that issue. As somebody said to me this week, they were commenting on the slaughter of babies in the Lucy Letby trial, which has horrified the nation. And they were just making a contrast that in other parts of that hospital, in other departments, there would be the ending of the life of unborn babies of a similar stage, which is actually sponsored, if you like, paid for, facilitated by the, the national funds and the NHS. And so many Christian medical professionals have found that they, they can't be involved with that sort of procedure. They feel it is a place where they say we, we must obey God rather than men. I think it's relevant to that issue. As no, it's very delicate and sensitive, but I think you'll see that there are some parallels. Wonderfully, I can say that there is forgiveness with God. So if, if this issue brings all sorts of thoughts to you, that uh, Jesus said to, to the woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There's that wonderful prospect of forgiveness for people. But I, I think there's a principle here which we can think about. So, the, the midwives do what they do and the success of the policy, verse 20, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. God's plan, you see, is unstoppable. The promise is being fulfilled. Ploy 2 doesn't work. Reminds us of, in the New Testament, in Acts, as the monkey arms don't just go into the books next to you. Now, there's a big monkey arm, if you like, to the book of Acts from Exodus. We see that lots of times, lots of parallels. And in Acts, you find one of the Herods there um, puts in prison some of the uh, apostles, kills James, puts Peter in prison. And by the end of the chapter, Herod is gone and it says, but the word of God multiplied. God's purpose and promise progressing. So, Pharaoh feels he needs to really, if you like, take the gloves off. He needs to get even rougher. And you have ploy three, which is widespread slaughter. The next ploy comes in and, and it's an escalation. It's in verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is now public. All people are to be aware of this. All people are to encourage it. It's almost a case of, you see a Hebrew baby boy, you know what to do, you know who to tell, you know what action needs to be taken. They're encouraging really the genocide of a whole age group of babies in Egypt. And what will this do? What was, will this be the end of God's people? What will it do for God's plans? How will they grow 
How will they have future leaders? How will a deliverer come from Egypt if all the baby boys are being eradicated? We move into chapter 2 and we find a, a but. But Moses, but Moses, God will have his people grow. God will nurture them. God will appoint and have a leader to deliver his people. And amongst the, the desperate sadness of this, these awful events, there is almost some irony, almost some amusement in how it happens. You have a, a bonny little boy, Moses, born. His parents are people of faith. They're not going to follow Pharaoh's edict. They know that their boy should be protected and maybe they even have some idea that God has special purposes for him. Uh, The little boy gets older and they can't hide him any longer. The the cries are getting too noisy and so after three months they, they put him in a basket this is probably where we get our phrase, must be where we get our phrase, Moses basket, when our daughters were born, when they went into a Moses basket, I don't know if it still carries on, but Moses baskets is the name. Well, that's because of this, Moses was put into a basket, but it was a waterproof basket, and it was put onto the Nile, and it was put amongst the reeds, so that the current didn't take it downstream. And uh, his older sister, these are ladies number three and four, the mum decides this is going to happen. The sister looks smartly on. And who would stumble across the baby but Pharaoh's daughter? She's got a much softer heart than her dad. And with tenderness and compassion, she feels for the child that she knows must be a a baby Hebrew. The sister springs into action and comes up to Pharaoh's daughter and she offers to arrange a nurse for her. And Pharaoh's daughter says, well, yes, let's have a nurse for her. And so Moses' mother, the sister's mother, is arranged to be paid to look after her own son. And Moses grows and top quality free education is thrown in to the scene as well. And you think, nice one Pharaoh, your family has just nurtured the future leader of God's people. God's plan continues despite the opposition that there is. It reminded me of uh, what some of us heard a couple of weeks ago when uh, Paul Philpott showed the Alam Ministries video of the believers in Iran. Perhaps some of you saw it. If you didn't, there is a, a link on the bulletin and on the mission page of our website. It's worth looking at again about the growth of the church in Iran despite all the efforts of the authorities to squash it. And I remember Paul saying as well that at one point an Iranian leader spoke out very publicly that people were not to read the New Testament. And it led to a massive increase in the reading of the New Testament. And it's like the ploys of men being overthrown by the power and the purposes 
of God. God's promises are unstoppable. Isaiah 46, I have spoken, I will bring it to pass, I have purposed and I will do it. And as we think of it, hopefully this morning, it heightens our view of God's greatness, sovereignty, comforts us in our own difficulties and confusion, makes us patient when we we don't know where things are going. God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year. But in closing, I just want to make this point. It's not the last time, is it, when you find a despot trying to thwart God's plan by killing baby boys in the process. It's not, is it? Think of Herod the Great. Early in Matthew, tried to do something similar in the Bethlehem area. And he has similar success to Pharaoh. God's leader, God's appointed person, Jesus, is taken to Egypt then to avoid the clasp of the despot who's trying to eradicate God's people and God's future leader. The saviour is preserved. So Jesus would come. He was born. He was preserved. He lived. He died. He came as the saviour and deliverer of God's people. God's purpose was unstoppable. And it could have been said um, around Egypt at the time we're looking at There's good news, for there is born to you a saviour, Moses. And it was. God had given Moses, got through the clasps of Pharaoh, and he would become their deliverer. And you and I, this morning, can rejoice in even better news, which the angel announced in Luke 2. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Well, we've covered a lot this morning. I hope it stirred you to worship in God's unstoppable plans. And I hope at the end it just leads you to the link with Jesus to the thankfulness we should have that God has, in his purposes, brought the Saviour, Jesus, into the world and that that is a source of tremendous joy. And with that in mind, we sing our last song. Christmas has come early in our choice of our last song. Joy has dawned upon the world, promised from creation, God's salvation now unfurled, hope for every nation.
Oh Lord, we thank you to see your wonderful, unstoppable purposes being brought to pass in this book of Exodus. We thank you that you gave them a saviour, Moses, to lead your people out. But we thank you even more that you have given us a saviour, Jesus, for the joy that comes through him, for the forgiveness that comes through him, for the fact that through believing in him, righteousness is given to us. We praise you for that wonderful Saviour. Amen.